this is AFL Obsessed. I still can't believe July 4th weekend just happened here in the U.S. None of us could have anticipated or prepared for what the year has been until now. And if the last six months have been any indication, I wonder how the next six months will go. We've literally experienced every single emotion during that time and started to expect the unexpected. Some recent news here. One, we lost one of our NYC legends among the most celebrated graphic designers here in the U.S. Milton Glaser created the iHeartNY logo and also created the logos for DC Comics and Brooklyn Brewery. I feel like everyone is familiar with the iHeartNY logo all over the world, so thank you for everything you've done in the name of art and bringing it to the city and beyond, and rest in peace. And two, the NYC Marathon has been canceled. I told you about that previously in episode two when I went as a spectator for the first time, and now I'm really glad I went last year when I was cheering on Brownie. Number three, Kanye is running for president. (laughs) Uh, My personal opinion, a late orchestration and late registration, so watch the throne, I guess, because it's been a cruel summer and the Freedom Express is yay in God's country, and that's not my beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy. (laughs) But moving on, thank you all for your feedback about the new structure. I've decided to play around with it. I've always said that the AFL is like show business here, and my boyfriend Andrew and I are actually within walking distance of Broadway and the shows. They're literally down the street from where we live and a couple of blocks away, not even a five-minute walk. Sadly, we got the news that Broadway will be dark for the remainder of the year, understandably, but it's such a big part of our city's personality, and it's a big part of mine. So in honor of that, I'm going to tweak the segment names in homage to show business, just like so many elements of AFL, because the games are entertainment, after all. So let's get to it and dive into the opening overture of my overall thoughts on the week and where NYC is now. First of all, I watched Hamilton Finally, which is available for streaming on Disney+. Andrew and I were planning to go in March when we got back from our trip abroad and then the world shut down. It's different bringing the show into your living room, but I loved every second and highly recommend it if you have Disney+. I'm still looking forward to seeing it in person and have You'll Be Back currently stuck in my head. So many elements of it, though, reminded me of present-day circumstances, and I also loved every reference of my city. It's a very different July, really, from previous years, since it's typically a gathering weekend for a lot of Americans. But actually, there are now NYC quarantine restrictions on any visitors to the state due to high infection rates in other states surrounding us. So, Victorians, we know what it feels like. We touched on this in the last midweek wrap-up, but it's now been determined that all 10 Victorian teams are vacating the state and hubbing elsewhere in order to keep the season running, but we'll talk more about this later. Now on to Act 1 with the game wrap-up for Round 5. In the Carlton versus St. Kilda game, the opening game, it was in the early a.m. on Thursday morning on ESPN2, and I called this again. St. Kilda was dominant for most of this game and really took off in the first half, and the Blues kicked six goals after halftime and tried their best to catch up. And there were some questionable ump calls in the game, but the Blues missed tackles, were slow to start, and missed goals that would have really helped them. So ultimately, the Saints won by 18 points. 
And in the Pies versus the Dons game early Friday morning, the Pies were on top for the first 12 minutes and it was looking kind of scary for the Bombers, but they adapted quickly and took over. Even in the pouring rain, the Dons were in control. And this was pretty much a nail biter up until the end because there were several ump calls against Essendon in the last couple of quarters, which caused them to lose their lead. In a couple of memorable moments, there was a goal kick where the ball bounced up against the ump who had basically backed up against the pole. I don't think I've ever seen that before. And Snelling had a dangerous tackle where the Pies players had never actually touched the ground and a missed blatant goal square throw by Adam Trelor right near the end of the game. But despite all of that, the Bombers won by 15 points. Sadly, Stringer injured his ankle at the end of the game and will be out for weeks. On to the Eagles versus Swans game, which happened according to midnight on Friday night here. For this game, I was really curious about whether or not the Eagles could get it together. And apparently after losing three games and being dragged in the media, they came to play. They completely lifted by the middle of the first quarter and applied pressure throughout the game. And shockingly, the Eagles won by 34 points. And in the Geelong versus Suns game, initially I was really looking forward to the Raw matchup with the Cats midfield, but the Suns' shining streak ended at their first game away from home, and sadly our favorite Raul suffered a shoulder injury during the first quarter, which definitely impacted the game and his team. And being the superstar he is, he had it shoved back into place on the sidelines and insisted on going back in, but he wasn't allowed to, thankfully. And ultimately, in a milestone game for some Geelong players, they won by 37 points. And now onto the doubleheader games. So Bulldogs versus North. This game was all about Bruce Almighty for the Bulldogs, who kicked six goals and was just all over the field. The difference was really in the third quarter when the Bulldogs ran away with the game and they cleaned up by 49 points. So Bruce, Libba, English, and McRae were all standouts for the Western Bulldogs. And at the same time with the Lions versus Port game, there were 10,000 people in that crowd. I don't know about you guys, but do you ever get nervous still when you see like everyone kind of huddled close together and not practicing social distancing? I mean, there wasn't much action in the first quarter of this game until there were around eight minutes left and Brisbane got their goal while Port answered with one of their own. And the Lions seemed to become uncaged in the second quarter and kept Port Adelaide in the catch-up space all game, who couldn't really convert goals at some key moments. And in the end, Brisbane won by 27 points. I'll talk about the remaining three games in the next episode to kind of break it up. But what were your most memorable moments from round five? And what are you still thinking about from the weekend? So much happened. I'd love to know your thoughts. AFLFootyObsessed at Gmail and AFLObsessed on Twitter. Okay, it's intermission. So quickly during this time, let's just cut away to other sports. So ESPN has stated that the NFL is going to play the Black National Anthem, lift every voice and sing before every week one game in the 2020 season. Taking a cue from the AFL, hopefully, and also reading the globe, not just the room, we've come a long way since the Colin Kaepernick summer of 2016. And also, Formula One is back. 
the season opening in Australia, I think we all remember, kind of got derailed. So the race in Austria happened this weekend, and the drivers were led by Lewis Hamilton in kneeling beforehand. And most did, including Ricardo and Vettel, except for six drivers who I'm straight up side-eyeing. So 14 of the 20 drivers kneeled, and they all wore shirts that said End Racism, with Lewis's shirt saying that on the back and Black Lives Matter on the front. Okay, now we're on to Act 2, where I do a deep dive into a footy club or an element of footy history. And Act 2 is typically the more lively and dramatic part of the show, so this week's deep dive into the footy club will look a little bit different. But let's talk about the Adelaide Crows. In 2017, they were flying high as one and one win away from a premiership, but Richmond beat them in the grand final. And afterwards, the Adelaide players' mental strength was questioned by the football department, and they were told they had to improve. So cut to preseason camp in January of 2018, the club's first preseason camp in seven years. And no one really knew what happened during the camp, but players were left shaken, bewildered, and mentally distressed, according to reports. And the club was forced to address the concerns, but the players were asked not to talk about whatever they were forced to endure. And since then, eight of their best 22 players have left, and the head coach and head of football left. And after that, an external review led by Jason Dunstall led to key personnel changes. And everyone has kind of wondered what happened to prompt a mass exodus. So there was an article in The Age on July 4th called Inside the Camp That Brought Down the Adelaide Crows by Sam McClure. The article was a detailed account of the intense preseason camp and exposed psychological abuse and what really happened before everyone flew the crow's cuckoo nest. The article revealed elements of an intense and emotionally distressing four days. The senior players were only told the amount of time they were leaving and were basically loaded onto a bus with blacked out windows by men in army fatigues carrying automatic weapons, which they didn't know were fake, and they were blindfolded for the trip. And once they were unloaded in the woods, I think around an hour later, they were put through a series of bizarre exercises throughout the four days. And during the first exercise, a player fainted and was refused medical attention, even though teammates were pleading with the camp leaders. And the players weren't even allowed to speak to each other or to access their phones during much of this time away. But ultimately, the club doctor found out they were away when finally that player was given medical attention and he was called. And anytime the club doctor isn't informed about an activity, it's probably not great. But the most upsetting activity following an offensive talking stick sharing session where everyone was forced to share their fears and deepest weaknesses. So the players had to harness themselves to a contraption tied to a tree and crawl towards a combat knife set on the ground 10 meters away, which is just over 32 feet while his teammates pulled the contraption the other way and facilitators hurled abuse at the player who was crawling and encouraged the other players to do it too that were pulling against him. So as the struggle increased, the insults got more personal and players later said they are certain sensitive info had been handed to the collective leaders before the camp 
including things about childhood trauma, incidents of domestic abuse, or just partner relationships. So really, it's no wonder the final day was emotional and many of the players broke down as they waited for the bus. I mean, I was just completely appalled by this. It sounds like cultish behavior that, as the article quoted, was also illogical and dangerous. But also, why are you basically hazing your players? I mean, I was in a sorority in college and uni, and this sounds way worse than anything a fraternity or sorority would ever pull hazing-wise because it's dangerous. But I was curious because of a comment the new Carlton recruit Gibbs said in the article about the camp, admitting it was cultish, but that he had been on a lot worse camps at Carlton. So I was like, hold one moment. I mean, they haven't exactly been successful for a while at Carlton, so whatever they're doing in the preseason maybe wasn't working. But I looked into other preseason camps, and I found that one team was forced to jump out of planes, not in tandem with a professional, like you'd think, but solo. And many of the players were scared of heights. I know there's a dimensional element to the game, but there's no height element that requires the athletes to be airborne beyond taking a hanger on another player's back. They don't need to be stories above dropping into a field. And in another camp, Collingwood players had to find their way out of the woods with a compass. And I believe that five players actually got lost and had to be rescued after a few days. And there was even one legit cray-cray camp, I don't even know how else to describe it, where Adelaide players had to do a fire walk. I mean, you would think if the athletes had to run and kick for their careers that you wouldn't want to do anything to harm their feet. And a player got severe burns on his feet doing it. I mean, the U.S. would never allow this to happen. Could you even imagine with the NFL or NBA? I mean, what do you guys think of this article? Were you surprised or do you think that this is all just par for the course? I'm really curious on this one and just wondering what your thoughts are. And now for the curtain call, which is the spotlight segment. I just want to throw some beams on Bianca Hunt, who is a co-host of the AFL show Yakai Footy, which is a fresh take on footy highlighting the stories of indigenous footballers and celebrating their contribution to the game. So a little bit about Bianca, she played footy as a little girl until she was obliged to give up playing because there was no continuing girls or women's competition at the time, so she umpired instead. And she has extensive experience working across the government, corporate, and not-for-profit sectors for someone so young. And she is an indigenous leader, an AFL media reporter, and she even has a compelling TEDx talk about what it's like to be a young indigenous girl with massive dreams and with dreams at all. She has talked about the progression of the sport, about being open and honest in terms of conversation, and about the changes she hopes to see when it comes to indigenous voices at the table when issues relating to them are on the table. Maybe, thanks to films like The Final Quarter, and the Australian dream, and courageous journalists like Caroline Wilson and Susie O'Brien, Australia is evolving into a more accountable place. One that doesn't tolerate entertainment underpinned by bigotry. One that cuts through the boys club when they close ranks and defend bigots. Maybe viewers are at last demanding entertainment that doesn't demean diversity, but celebrates it. So to Bianca, we say encore, continue to break not legs, but ground in the sport and country.
And now the after show. So this is where all of the teams are headed in their hubs after round five. So Carlton is going to the Gold Coast along with Essendon, North Melbourne, Richmond, and the Western Bulldogs. And Collingwood and Geelong are headed to Perth and Melbourne and Hawthorne are going to Sydney. So that's it for me. Thanks for hanging around for the show. I'd love if you'd leave a review and share AFL Obsessed with someone you think might like it too. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. Check on your friends and neighbors. We'll get through this like footy. I'm virtually hugging you and we'll talk footy soon.